You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Patients who smoke don't just want to keep being told to quit, they want to know how. What are some of the best ways we as doctors can actually help our patients quit smoking? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Carol Southard, RN, MSN, and an American Lung Association certified instructor with over 20 years' experience and proven success. She is a pioneer in the field of smoking cessation. Carol serves as the tobacco cessation consultant for Chicago area hospitals, including Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you very much for having me. So what is it, Carol, about smoking that is so difficult to give up? Is it the nicotine? Is it the behavior? Is it all of the above? It is definitely all of the above. The tobacco companies discovered long before the healthcare community did how addictive nicotine itself is. So physically, we know that it is more difficult to take control over the addiction of nicotine than it is heroin, cocaine, or alcohol. It is the most addictive substance known to humankind. But then, of course, as with any addiction, there's a psychological level of addiction and the behavior, the ritual. So all those three things combined make using any tobacco product the most difficult addiction of all to overcome. I'd like to talk about nicotine in just specifically. Is nicotine, you know, we have nicotine receptors in our body. Correct. So is nicotine the thing that's really so bad or is it all the other crap that's in a cigarette, the other 4,000 ingredients? Thank you for asking that because it's such a myth that nicotine is what is dangerous. Nicotine is what people are addicted to. It is a central nervous system stimulant. So, of course, with every inhalation, everything speeds up, the metabolism, blood pressure, pulse, etc. There is some vasoconstriction, but that's not what causes the damage. Every single cigarette has over 4,000 chemicals, 40 of which... Our own government has declared carcinogens, but that's another topic, why this product isn't regulated. They care more about us before we're born. doesn't matter. Once you're born, uh, you can do whatever you want and kill yourself, and and they'll help. I've become a bit of a cynic doing this for as long as I have because it's clear that monetary gain far outweighs health benefits in terms of what is made a priority in this country. And it breaks my heart because the reason I'm so passionate about this, the reason I love doing what I do so much is there is nothing that someone can do that will benefit their health, more than quitting smoking. It's the most preventable cause of injury and death. I have patients in my office coming in for physical exams, and they want to be told what to do to change their life, and they're really worried about this cancer and that cancer, and they smoke. And it's the biggest joke, it's the biggest hypocrisy in the world that they think that they can control their health and keep smoking. Well, you know, I really believe this. Now, of course, I have a skewed population, but I really believe the surveys that stay... No matter what age group, the majority of smokers wish they could stop. That doesn't mean they don't love the effect they're getting from their cigarettes. And frankly, I don't blame them now that I know what I know about how quickly nicotine is into the system. With every inhalation within 10 seconds or less, there's nicotine in the system, which causes an increase in dopamine. It inhibits inhibits dopamine regulators. So I have read for every one cigarette, someone has a four-hour higher level of dopamine than they would normally. They're medicating themselves, which eats cigarettes. So, Which gets back to the fact that, you know, we as human beings are anxious creatures, and we do like to medicate ourselves with something, be it nicotine, caffeine, alcohol, religion, whatever else is available to kind of hit those dopamine receptors. And, you know, it wouldn't be so terrible if we just could allow them to have their nicotine in a way that is more healthy. Well, exactly right. And the truth is, 
there is no more rapid way to get nicotine into the system than via a cigarette in 10 seconds or less. So it's faster than shooting up IV drugs. Plus, it's legal. It's even with restrictions. It's always easy to get in a cigarette. And it doesn't impair cognitive ability, unlike those, some of those other things you mentioned, alcohol, the other addictive substances. And I really think all those things combined make it more difficult to quit and easier to put off quitting. So your clients who are saying, oh, yeah, I'm worried about this cancer or that heart disease and I exercise every day, ironically, what they don't realize is they're, they're doing their, themselves more damage than by doing anything else. And, but it's not always tangible and it's not, not always in your face that, oh, I have to stop. If I have one more cigarette, I'm dead. Where I have a lot of other addicts who said to me, you know, they get to that point where they look at a bottle of beer and they think, if I have you, that's it. You don't get that, to that point with a cigarette until it's late stage. Right. I have patients who, I'm a lipidologist and I treat a lot of people with elevated cholesterols and they all are worried about their cholesterol number and they think if I can, can lower their cholesterol number, they will not die of a heart attack. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. And, and so sometimes I say to them, listen, I am not going to treat your cholesterol. I'm not going to enable you to continue adding fuel to the fire of your coronary arteries until you quit smoking. You quit smoking. Show me you care about your health. Come back, and then I'll be happy to lower your cholesterol. But see, what they need, and you alluded to this in your introduction, what they need are the tools about how to quit. And most clients don't have that, and most providers don't know. Let's talk about that. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm talking today with Carol Southard. She is the cessation consultant for many of Chicago area's hospitals, and we're trying to figure out what doctors can do to help their patients quit smoking. So, Carol, all right, let's say the smoker wants to keep being a smoker. Oh, that doesn't stop me, and it shouldn't stop any provider out there from continuing not to use a judgment, not to say, and let me just back up a minute, because I know what you're saying is out of the goodness of your heart, but by calling your client a hypocrite for smoking and yet caring about their heart, what are you going to end up doing? You're going to end up embarrassing that person. That person's going to end up feeling defensive. That person might end up being a closet smoker. I'm seeing more and more of that. That doesn't help. They're going to show me. I'm going to show that Dr. Caskell. I'm going to go out and keep smoking. The hell with him. That's right. It's defensive. You know, there was a great article in the journal the Public Health Association puts out, and it's been a few months now, but the authors were comparing the AIDS movement with the tobacco control movement. And the bottom line is the AIDS movement raised money for treatment, research, but most importantly, probably destigmatized the diagnosis of AIDS. Those of us in the tobacco control, and to my credit, I've been saying this for over 20 years, we have concentrated on Clean Air Act, legislation, all that's important, but we have not destigmatized the smoker. We've made the smoker the enemy instead of the product. And the tobacco companies are laughing all the way to the bank about that. You can see them congregating outside of buildings now. They look they look like heroin addicts. And they know that at some level. So they're embarrassed, they're defensive, they're angry. That's not what gets them to quit. So the first thing we have to do as providers is stop judging them. Stop telling them what's wrong with you. Don't you know how dangerous it is? You know what? They do know. But what they don't know is how to stop. So, All right, Carol, do your thing. So the next step is Talk to them about the fact that they have an addiction. This is not a moral judgment. This is a chronic condition that's going to be with them for the rest of their life. Now, the hardest thing they'll ever do is quit, but the most worthwhile thing they'll ever do is quit. So my line is, even if you don't want to, learn how. And I use the analogy of being diagnosed with diabetes. No one wants that diagnosis. 
frankly, most people don't want to have to learn, all right, what do I have to do to keep my blood sugar regulated? But most do to enhance quality of life and decrease risk. That's how I approach quitting smoking. You have a chronic condition. Even if you don't want to quit, you learn how. That's my tagline, and I can't tell you how many smokers have said, I wouldn't have come to you if I didn't see that. That's acknowledging at every level, I don't really want to give this up, but I'm going to learn how, and that's where our role comes in. All right, so you've you've done your tagline, and uh, <laughs> okay, so, so now what? Then what do you do? So what I do is I assess each person's level of physical addiction, psychological, but really concentrate on behavioral and the cognitive aspects, and it's actually quite easy to do. There have been studies that show any provider, and I know everyone out there listening is very, very busy, but in three minutes or less, you can impact with a tobacco user. And the studies say every time a client hears from their provider how important it is to quit, even if they're defensive in your office, it's going to increase the chance they're going to go out there and try. And like with everything else, the more times we try, the more chance there is of success. So one of the first questions to ask is, on a typical day, how quickly do you use, whether it's chew, cigar, pipe, or cigarettes, how quickly do you use? If they say, like many of my clients do, before my feet hit the ground, I'm lighting up, they're probably highly physically addicted, a good candidate for pharmacotherapy. If they say, oh, I can get up, walk the dog, but, you know, come home, read the paper, and then I light up, they're probably not as physically addicted. Are they still a candidate for pharmacotherapy? That would depend on the following questions. Are there times when you feel you, quote, unquote, have to have a cigarette? If they say yes, even if they only smoke three a day, that means there's a high psychological level of addiction, where, again, pharmacotherapy might help. Now, the hardest part of quitting for anyone is the ritual of it, the behavior of it. So one thing you can ask them to do is, all right, I want you to be conscious of every cigarette you have, because they're not going to quit the minute they leave your office. That's not realistic. But giving them a task. Just like we tell people when they're trying to lose weight, I want you to keep a journal of every cigarette you have in the next two days. And look at that journal then on the third day. When do you smoke most? Is it after meals? Is it when you're under stress? Is it when you're home alone relaxing? Because those are the times you're going to plan for. We can't make changes behaviorally unless we plan and have backup activities. Not one thing to substitute for that cigarette. There is no such thing. All right. So let's let's say I have an office full of nurses that all smoke. And they all want to quit. So let's say I have them keep the journal for the next two weeks. Let's say one of them comes back saying, I smoke every time I get in my car. I smoke on every break I get at work. And I smoke when I go out with my friends drinking on weekends. And that's it. So she's kept the journal. We have the journal. What can I offer her to replace that cigarette? A pretzel? Well, (laughs) no. And again, I am not an advocate of one thing replacing a cigarette because, frankly, there is no such thing. The first thing any tobacco user has to internalize is that there is nothing that's going to replace this. I'm giving up something that's been a part of my life, in most cases, for years, and now I'm going to learn how to get through my days without them. So once the smoker has identified those times, and all those times you've mentioned are incredibly common, I will talk to the client from the onset about using some sort of pharmacotherapy that might help them through those given situations. The newest drug is Chantex. There's five kinds of nicotine replacement therapy, and there's also Wellbutrin or Zyban, the exact same thing. But Zyban's what's marketed to smokers because there's a little higher price to it. But I will talk to them about the idea of using a pharmacotherapy agent for about three months to help them through those times that they have identified will probably be hardest for them. What about... You know, you're asking them to give up a good friend. You're asking them to really go through a death of a, of a previous self. So what about the psychological grieving process? Well, you know what? That's the hardest part. And I 
remember when I was first certified through the Lung Association, they actually used to tell us what you just said. You're going to go through all the mourning stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Finally end a relationship that in your head you know is bad for you. It doesn't mean you get over it in a day. It doesn't mean you automatically have a substitute for it. It means you learn how to get through your life without it despite missing it, despite wanting it. I always tell my clients, you'll probably never stop wanting a cigarette. That's not fair. It does become manageable, but that's a fact. That's what it means to be an addict. That's what it means to have a chronic condition. Now, you figure out how you're going to get through days without wanting, without having it. It's okay to want one. It's okay to miss them. It's not okay to have them because once an addict, always an addict. And you know that cliche, one's too many, a thousand's not enough. Carol, unfortunately, we are out of time. I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show. Carol Southard, who is an RN and tobacco cessation consultant for many of the Chicago area hospitals. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.